Hello, everyone. This is the PM versus PMM podcast, a podcast about products and product roles. My name is Aditi. And my name is Arjun. And Aditi, I would so love to work from home, from Bali. Very affordable. We were just talking about New York rent, beautiful landscapes, great co working spaces, good time zone. For, for working in the West. Would you live in Bali? I would love to live in Bali, but <laughs> okay. I feel like it would get a little lonely after a couple weeks for me. Mm. I don't know about you. We have to go together. Yeah. Okay. If I knew someone there, then it would definitely be a lot easier. Taking the podcast to Bali 2024. Yes. Make it happen. Aditi, today we're talking about communicating with engineers. We're gonna do our three topics each layout again and for the new segment we're talking about google's answer to ai all right let's get started all right so for communicating with engineers when you communicate with engineers there's lots of different platforms or channels to communicate there are setting requirements roadmap discussion doing documentation and specification write-ups and of course meetings it's really important to make use of all these channels so that you can have alignment and shared understanding of what's being built, as well as understand the feasibility of what you want built. And then of course, having your engineers help you with collaboration and problem solving. So today Aditi and I are going over three of our most important things when we want to communicate with engineers from a product and product marketing perspective. All right, Aditi, what's your first thing about communicating with engineers? So my first point when it comes to communicating with developers is to learn the basics. So it doesn't feel like when I'm talking to a developer that I don't know what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. Even if it's not like coding specifically, I know the language, I know what they're, what they mean when they say certain vocabulary. So I do think that it's really important and it can help a lot in messaging and positioning and just understanding the product in itself for a product marketer to be able to communicate in the language of a developer, mm-hmm. especially for a highly technical product like I've done before. Right. So I really do think that it's important for not just marketers, but everyone in a company to be able to understand the basics of how the product works and the language around the product. Yeah. Is it just like super high level architecture stuff? Like, oh, we have an API and like, that's it. Or is it more than that? I think a little more specific can be really helpful just for personal understanding and also just creating that relationship with the developer because Mm -hmm. developers, at least from what I've seen, tend to be isolated from the rest of the company a lot of times and they're just like doing their own thing in, in a corner while everyone else is like collaborating with each other. And it it can really help if you are able to communicate with them in their language for them to feel included in the conversation and they don't feel like oh they're just blabbing away a bunch of stuff that no one else understands Mm -hmm. um okay that makes sense so like not so like knowing the language that the api is written in and how their deployment process works and that way they feel like oh this aditi knows like all the things that i've got going on kind of a thing yeah, exactly. Ah, cool. For me, it's kind of similar to that. It's also about about listening. I think I I was an engineer, and as an engineer, you're right. I think we are a little. I we're told, hey, like these are the things that are important to build, and 
these are the things that will make the company go. And of course, we as engineers are listening to our product counterparts and are like, okay, yeah, like this makes sense. Like these are the bets that we're taking. And then things inevitably like don't always hit their mark. And so we have to adjust and and measure and and learn and change. And in all of that process, like the engineers also have ideas and form opinions on what is kind of happening. So the first, my first thing about communicating with engineers is just having my ears open and listening to them. They have a perspective on the product that is different than other product people, just like everyone has their own opinion. And so really understanding what their opinions are and where they come from allow you to open this collaborative environment that then you can communicate both directions. They'll feel like they want to listen to you and you'll feel like incorporating their ideas as well. Yeah. Since you've been an engineer in the past, do you think that there were certain maybe aspects of the product or the aspects of what you were working on that felt a little bit more overlooked because people weren't listening to you? Yeah. The previous product I worked on was an API for engineers. And so when we're working on an API for engineers, we're like the customer, right? Because we're we're also using APIs for us for other things. And so I feel like since we're the users of other APIs, we had a, a, a unique kind of look at, hey, like this is what I would do, or this is how I would use this, or this is what it would mean to me. But at the same time, we would be listening to our product counterparts. So if the product counterparts told us, oh, for our particular API, actually SDKs aren't important, we'd be like, oh, okay, like SDKs seem important to me, but maybe like our customers just don't care about them. And so we would we would understand that. But that creates a, a, a little bit of a chasm, right? Because then the engineers assume, oh, like I'm working on this, but it doesn't seem like it's as important. So that's okay. But then I never got a chance to communicate to my product people that I feel like it's important, right? And then it kind of gets swept under the rug. And so that's why listening is so important because if we can bring out all of those, all of those opinions, then we have a more unbiased view of what we can build as a product manager, product team. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So for my second point, it's kind of similar to what you were saying, piggybacking on it. So mine is communicating with the developers at the right channels. It doesn't necessarily just mean that communicate with them through like product board or GitHub or something, but Mm -hmm. it's also just making sure that the things that you're saying are relevant to the kind of work that they're doing. You don't want to bring in like a bunch of marketing speak to them if it's not relevant because they have a lot of things that are going on. They have a certain perspective on the work that they're doing. And it's important to really understand what they care about, what resonates with them and making sure that when you're communicating with them, you're keeping those things in mind. Mm-hmm. Basically like engaging them. Yeah. Yeah. What What does it mean by like the right channels? Like how do the channels... So it can be, it can be one thing where you, you pick where they're most active, right? Maybe Slack or Google Hangouts is not something that they're very active on. But if you can, if you like send in a ticket through product board, they're probably going to respond quicker because that's something that 
they're checking all the time. That's where most of their task list is. Yeah. Or that makes sense. Or like there's another communication platform that they use with within their team, something like that. So not requiring them to have to switch between too many different platforms mm -hmm. so that they can focus on what they're doing. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like, have you found that some engineers just like, well, you'll send them a ticket, but then they, they won't ever look at it or something. I've noticed that if you don't, if you, if they don't feel like something's on, on par with what they're doing, for whatever reason, they will have a tendency to ignore it because they don't feel it's important. Right. So one, communicating on the right channel and communicating how important it is mm. for, th for the work they're doing is really important. So if you're communicating that through a platform that they don't resonate with in the first place, they're not even going to look at the message that you send them. Right. So if you send them a ticket and then you explain, okay, this is why this is important. Like say you want to put it at a higher priority than something else. So if you explain it to them, it will be easier for them to be like, okay, I get why. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Actually, my my second point kind of fits right in there. And you're kind of about communicating the right thing in the right way. And my thing is like how exactly that is written as well. So like really making effective tickets. When you're starting your sprint and there's a whole bunch of new tickets you're always going for the the ones that look appealing. And so how can you write from, from a product perspective, how can you write the ticket so that what whichever the engineers that are looking at the tickets to take are like, ooh, this is interesting. Like I could solve this. So some tickets you want to make it like really clear how to like get into the tickets. It's this part of the code, for example, that we need to look at. And then they could go and look at that part of the code and they could understand, oh, okay, like this is the stuff that needs to be changed. Or like why is another one, right? Like, oh, this is going to help us move this metric or change this thing. And they're like, oh, this is something important that I want to work on. Really writing the ticket in a way that makes the ticket approachable and makes it so that they can understand like what needs to be done. Yeah. And it makes it easier to transfer tickets from one developer to another. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Also, Code switch, like context switching. Yeah. It can make it a lot easier for them to communicate within the team too. Yeah. There is, I think like a, a degree of <clears throat> like doing it too much, like spending an, uh, like 20 minutes on two tickets, writing the ticket out is like kind of also a, a waste of time. Especially, so it's more, it's less about like spending a lot of effort writing the ticket and more about writing the ticket in a particular way that the engineering team who will be looking at that ticket will be able to understand. So probably what's the best is to ask them like, hey, what's a ticket that you really like enjoyed working on or that you found really easy and approachable? And so then you, they'd, you, you'd be able to look at those tickets and say, okay, I can write my ticket in the same structure. Yeah, I feel like, same language. Yeah. I feel like it also connects back to what I was talking about learning the basics. If you mm -hmm. know how they communicate, you can really make sure that your tickets are worded in the right way. And they don't require too much time to write them out, but you include the right information and word it correctly so that the developer can understand it.
yeah can understand it quickly as yeah speed as well is like a big deal because nobody wants to spend 10 minutes trying to figure out what the ticket says you know exactly yeah cool yeah so my last point is bringing developers into product conversations so this is something that we've talked about in this podcast before too is mm-hmm. developers tend to be disconnected from their product conversations and they have a lot of opinions they have a lot of they have a perspective on the work that they're going doing and it would be really encouraging it would be really helpful if we were able to bring the developers into the product conversations so whatever aspect of the product that they're working on they can bring their two cents into the conversation to understand to communicate a couple of things one how long a certain task is going to take Mm-hmm. And two, maybe they have an idea, especially for a highly technical product that we've worked on before, they have an idea of like what they would want if they were using a product like that. So they have a certain perspective that sometimes doesn't get heard. And mm-hmm. it would be great if they were brought into product conversation. And that way they also feel more ownership over the work that they're doing. For sure. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think often those things are thought of as like an afterthought. And so bringing them into the discussion essentially is is taking that discussion and making it part of the main discussion instead of, oh, yeah, we'll get the engineer to rank this story on difficulty or whatever, you know, afterwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mine is also about bringing engineers into the discussion, but in another way. I think product is all about objective setting. And so you kind of stick your head out of the water see which direction you need to go in, stick your head back under the water and swim in that direction for a week. And every cycle of that, sticking your head out, looking around, sticking your head back and going is is essentially a sprint. And I think it makes engineering work and product work a lot more fun if we're all on that journey together. And we're kind of all learning together and understanding together because there's some risks there, right? One risk is like, I don't know where I'm going. I know we're like swimming around everywhere, but like, I have no clue if we're going in the right direction. It just feels like I've been swimming forever, right? And so setting that goal and that vision and and having those checkpoints of like, oh, like this is the direction we need to go in and being able to back that up with some data. Essentially, you're a very good product manager if you can do that. And if the engineers feel like, no, each week is a different week and we're, we, or each sprint is a different sprint and we're heading in this different direction. And yeah, I've been swimming for like three months straight, but like it's part of the learning process to get there. And if, if they're being taken along that journey, then um, you can avoid the, the, the burnout type feelings of like, I'm uh, just working without a goal in mind, you know? Yeah, I I like your point about burnout, because I feel like burnout is a very common, unfortunately, very common thing in developers, especially because they Mm -hmm. have a tendency to be working aimlessly on certain projects. And sometimes they don't have an idea for where it's going. Sometimes maybe they do, but it just feels like the task is taking longer than it should either way, or they feel like they're overworking themselves, whatever it is. There can be a tendency for engineers to burn out pretty quickly. So to find ways to prevent that and find a balance between like vision and goals and the work that they're doing can be 
incredibly helpful. Yeah. And the third thing, which is like fun, right? <laughs> like yeah. we don't want everyone to wants to be having fun. We don't want people to <laughs> be tortured from the work that they're doing. <laughs> that sounds like an awesome tenant for our podcast that the building products is fun or let's yeah. make building products fun. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Let's move on to our new segment. This last month, Google had their annual conference, Google I.O., and this conference, this year's conference was all about artificial intelligence, kind of like what's Google got to compete with all the ChatGPT LLMs from OpenAI. Did you see any of the uh, announcements? Aditi, from I Google? did not. I'll be very honest. I did not even know this happened this weekend. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, it happened like a couple of weeks ago. Oh, okay. So clearly I'm very out of the loop. Yeah. Google, no worries. That's what we have the news segment for. Uh, Google, I think like their main thing that came from it or their overarching theme was like, they want to really integrate AI seamlessly into daily life and have it be like the starting point for many tasks. And I think that makes a lot of sense when you think about it. There's so many different things that we do and at this specifically that we do on Google products. And so how can AI make those things, make starting things easier? And with that, Google feels like they're filling in the missing pieces of the AI interface puzzle. So they unleashed their LLM, the Palm 2, and they started integrating it into productivity tools. So for example, in Gmail, they already had like a smart compose feature and now you can like use their LLM Palm 2 to completely like start, write your email for you and, and start that process. They also that. introduced it in Google Docs. Ooh. So you can like do a whole document and just go into edit mode essentially. Would you use that? I would love to use that. I feel like the Gmail one can be incredibly helpful for just like drafting those like just those like I don't know how to word I don't know how to word it those just emails that you don't really want to think about and you just maybe it's like a reply to an interview you just gave or something like that where mm -hmm. you don't really need to think too much about it it's just one of those like obligatory emails that you send because you're a part of an organization you know yeah yeah or you're replying to something and you want to you want a head start on it or something like that same with google docs i've been using ChatGPT bard for a lot of the work that i've been doing where it just gives me a starting point for the kind of work that i need to do whether it's mm -hmm. like an article i need to write or it's a linkedin post or something whatever it is it's great to use it as a starting point and then i can edit it make it into my language or whatever but it gives me a point where like whatever I'm thinking, it puts it down on paper and then I can edit it, which makes it a lot easier. Yeah, for sure. The article was talking about how ChatGPT, the, the website ChatGPT has the highest number of copy and paste events or, or copy rather events of any website ever. And that all of these tools will now start making that number go down because you're getting the power straight in the tools instead of having to copy paste it over. And I thought that was pretty interesting because 
the amount of times I copy paste from ChatGPT is insane. <laughs> it really is. I feel like every response that you're getting, you're copying and pasting it somewhere else because yeah. that's what you're asking it for. You know, yeah, even the fun facts that we do for this episode for the uh-huh. podcast, I get them from like Bard or G- ChatGPT, and I copy and paste it into our document. Yep, precisely. Yeah, definitely. They also introduced their other big product launch from Google I.O. It's called Project Starline. You might have seen a video on this on, on socials. Essentially, it's like super zoom. So what they do is they take this gigantic TV and they have cameras on the top, on the left and the right. And they use those cameras to mesh a 3D view of you, that which is very typical, right? Like like a hologram? Uh, uh, it's not quite a hologram. So that 3D view of you still is projected in 2D. But oh. because of the camera setup, when you move, it tra- it can track your face. And then it can show you like a little bit different parts of the of of who you're talking to. And so it ends up becoming this like super realistic because as I move like this, like my actual vision of you or I, the audience can't see as I move to the left my the actual what I see of you is a little bit skewed to the left and so um, oh. a bunch of youtubers have like gone and and tested it out and apparently it is one of like the most amazing tools and it makes you feel like you're right there which is really interesting. I really want them to put that in some autonomous cars and uh, so that I could just sit in the car and like basically be sitting with my friends or my family. If it's really that real, right? Like that would be pretty cool. That would be really cool. Yeah. It reminds me when you mentioned the car, it just reminds me of the AI that we see in Tesla right now. My dad mm-hmm. just got a Tesla. So, and I'm taking care of it while he's not in the country. Yeah. So, and the first time I drove it, we drove it all the way from New York to Massachusetts. And on the highway, it has complete auto mode on cruise. So on the highway, you can set it to a maximum speed limit. And basically, all you have to do is just keep your hands on the steering wheel. The car does everything else. Uh-huh. And it's amazing. It's great for like straight driving on the highway. But it the one thing that I loved about it is that it does driving in traffic. So I was, you can just sit back. You don't have to worry about accelerating or pumping the brakes every time someone stops in front of you. This is like in the city? Like you can do it in the city. It's not as good in the city right now. Uh But on the highway, it's absolutely perfect. Yeah. You you just, because especially in traffic, you're just trying to go in one straight line and you don't want to have to think about like accelerating and decelerating every two seconds. So the car just does everything for you. It like merges and everything? It merges too. Yeah. It wow. does everything. So I've been loving it. That is that. really crazy. So it's, we're really just seeing the impact of AI all throughout mm-hmm. everything that we do. Yeah. And, yeah. Like, and Google's just what... taking it to another level. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of the point with Google, right? Like, that's what they want to do as well. Like, how can we take this new feature of LLMs and put it into all of the stuff that they have? Google's known for one or Google's mission is to organize the world's information in a way that's useful. And a lot of that information is organized in text. And so 
it, it's really powerful for Google to be able to take all this text and then make it more useful. So an, another one of their features really quick is called Project Tailwind. It scans all your Google Drive files and acts as a digital notebook for information. So like, like imagine <laughs> jot notes of like all of your info in Google Drive, right? Like all my school notes are in Google Drive. Like that's pretty cool. <laughs> it's like Korean. Oh my God. That, I, I see this stuff and I just think about what it's going to be like to just work in the next 10 years you know mm. the kind of work that we're going to be doing the way we're going to be working is going to be so different yeah for sure it's a it, it's going to be such a huge leap and actually i want to get into my fun fact on that yeah the way we're going to be working is like a type of leap that we like really don't see that often for example like in 1983, we had the world's first commercial mobile phone, the Motorola Dynatac 8000X. It was 22 pounds, 2.2, which is the same as six, over six and a half iPhones. And like, that's crazy in itself that we would carry around six and a half iPhones with us. <laughs> but like, that is not nearly as crazy as what AI is going to do to to work, you know? And so, yeah, that was my fun fact. And I kind of cannibalized my own fun fact there, but that's okay. <laughs> What's your fun fact? My fun fact, I also is around smartphones, but it's a little different. What do you think the most expensive smartphone is out there? Yeah, I don't know. Probably like some gold iPhone or something. <laughs> so the most expensive smartphone out there is the Falcon Supernova Pink Diamond iPhone 6. And uh, which, what? And it costs $95.5 million. Oh my god, what is it? <laughs> like a, like an iPhone with it's a... Probably a just, it's probably like embedded with like diamonds and shit, which is crazy. You didn't look it up? I can look it up, yeah. Let's see. I want to see what it looks like. We're both going to copy paste. Yeah, there's like a Whoa, giant diamond yeah. on it. It has a gigantic diamond, like the size of my thumb or bigger. Yeah. Bigger than my thumb, probably, on the oh, back. Oh, for sure. It's, it's a giant, it's just a giant pink diamond on it. But it's just 2D? No, it has to be 3D, right? No, it definitely is 3D. It, it's, the, all the pictures that I'm looking at look 2D, though. But yeah. That's pretty crazy. So... Oh, oh is it... It's bought from the, it's, it, the Ambani's have it, the richest family in India. Do they? Yeah, <laughs> according to Of this. course they do. I'm not surprised. Oh I was like, I well, he was just expecting it to be in Dubai somewhere. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, that would work too. And it, that's our show. Thank you so much for listening. We want to talk about products on this podcast and we're doing this to learn and express ourselves. And we want to hear from you. Reach out to us on LinkedIn if you have any ideas for a topic. And if you even want to come on the podcast, we would love to have you. My name is Arjun. I'm with Aditi. We would love to have you be a part of it. Aditi, would you ever have a diamond, a gigantic diamond on the back of your iPhone? I, I would rather have it somewhere else, maybe in like a piece of jewelry or something, not on my phone. <laughs> and given how many times I drop my phone, I just don't think that's a safe situation. Oh, that's true. But diamonds <laughs> are like the hardest material, right? So maybe it would Yeah, be... but I, I'm not worried about the diamond getting damaged. I'm worried about the fact that the diamond will just fall off or something. Oh, <laughs> uh, the glue. You don't trust yeah. the glue. All right, well, 
that's the advice listeners for the week don't trust the glue we'll see you next time (laughs) all right see you guys bye bye